want everybody, let's look like we're having a, a great time here, okay? So I want to take a picture of everybody and, and, and say, hey, smiles and wave your hand or do something there. Okay, great. Okay, I'm going to... Whichever um, picture comes out better, I had I did this in the first service, and so we'll, we'll put one of those pictures up there tomorrow. And uh, the reason I'm doing that is because I just want you to be aware, number one, of our Facebook page. We actually update it every day, so you can kind of keep track of this thing that's happening through the Ministry uh, of Urban Islands Projects as we're helping the, the, the cities, the presence of the church increase in the cities. And actually, that video is a little bit outdated now. We're, we have 30 churches that we're partnering with in in 10 different cities, and um, uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I'm going to tell you a story in just a minute about one of them, but let me just say that, uh, just to be clear, one of the things that's happening in the city is the culture, the general culture that we're all experiencing, the big cultural trends are often born in the city. They're birthed in the cities. It's the city culture has a, a disproportionate impact on what every, the general culture is, is, is learning about, is, is being affected by, is being impacted by. And that's not always that is, that's not always a good thing, and so what we want to do is we understand we believe that that God's calling His church into the city, into proximity with people who live in the city, to begin to shape the culture of the city from inside of the city. So then, as it comes comes out from the cities and and infects and and affects the entire culture, um, it's it's a blessing. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, so that's kind of kind of what what we, we we're involved in. I I actually it's it's kind of fun for Sherry and I to be back in Colorado Springs. We actually lived here for six years when we served at the district office of the Assemblies of God that's right here in Colorado Springs, and um, and then we went and served at the national level. I was a national church planning leader for the Assemblies of God and helped with the starting of thousands of churches all across the country. And that's when I discovered this problem that I um, now we've started Urban Islands Project to address that as the presence, or excuse me, as the density of the population is increasing in cities, the presence of the church is actually going in the other direction. And that's just, that's just wrong. And so we said, you know, that's going to keep happening unless we get intentional about doing something about it. So that's what Urban Islands Project is about. And just to give you a, a quick picture of one, I'll just, one of the 30 churches that we're assisting is a church in Lansing, Michigan, that's led by uh, this lady right here. This is Eleanor Quay, or Q. I, I actually pronounced her name wrong, and I can't remember which one is the wrong pronunciation. She's from the nation of Cameroon. And uh, Sister Eleanor uh, grew up in Cameroon, raised, born and raised there, and then went to France to get her medical degree. And then her husband, Simon, was transferred to Lansing, Michigan, of all things. And so they end up in Lansing, Michigan. She's a French-speaking doctor, but she learned English. She's probably smarter than most people in any room that she's in. She can speak five or six languages fluently. And she moves into Lansing, Michigan, and starts her medical practice there. And um, as she's doing her medical practice, she begins to have people come to her who are, you know, she says, hey, how you doing? You know, like any good doctor, what's your, how's your day going? Well, um, I, it took me three hours to get here. She keeps hearing that. And she says, why, why is it taking you so long to get here? Well, it's, it's not because they live really far away. It's because they have to use public transportation, because they live in Section 8 housing. If you, don't, if you don't know what that means, that's referring to housing for people that has to be subsidized because their income level is not enough for them to, to afford regular housing. And so she, she realized she kept having all these patients coming from Section 8 housing. And so it occurred to her one day, why don't, instead of them having to spend three hours getting to me because the public transportation system is not well configured, to get them here, what if I go to them? So she went to the Section 8 housing uh, uh, location, the building where that, that most of her patients were coming from, and said, hey, what might it be possible for me to open a clinic here once a week so I come to them instead of them coming to me? And they said, that'd be great. So she did that. She started this clinic, and then she became aware of the other problem, which was they had a hard time getting to church. They had a hard time going to church. And so she thought, well, these somebody needs to do something about that. And God tapped her on the shoulder and said, I want you to do something about that. And she said, yeah, but I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to do that. I'm a doctor. And somehow she became aware of Urban Islands Project. She contacted us and she said, here's my situation. Can you help me? And I said, we would love to help you. That's what we exist for, is to help people in these difficult places 
bring the church to people who don't have access to the church. And so that was about a year and a half ago. And, um, and at that point, she was all kind of all by herself, trying to be the doctor all week and then a pastor on the weekend. And by God's grace and, and through the just amazing stuff over the last year and a half, now she has medical clinics on six public housing projects in Lansing, Michigan. And she has a church on each one of those housing projects in Lansing, Michigan. She has 50 volunteers that are helping her. And it's a revolution. In fact, she expects to have a church and a clinic on every housing project in the state of Michigan, 128 different housing projects. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that cool? God is doing something amazing. And, and we just, you know, we get to be part of helping her. She, she just didn't know what to do. As smart as she is, we helped her, and, and God is just blessing. So we have 29 other projects and 29 other things. And the reason we call it Urban Islands Project is because cities are like a thousand islands smashed together. Um, you know, you, if, how many of you have ever been to Denver? <laughs> Probably for a ball game or something like that. Uh, I know when we lived in Colorado Springs, we would go there. Whenever we went to the city, there was a reason we were going to. By the way, welcome back, Scott and Linda, Pastor Scott and Linda. Have you guys been up all night? Okay. You have my permission if you need to to take a little nap, you know, just get a good rest so you can be ready for the rest of the day. Welcome you back. I'm glad you're safe. And you're done crying, right? You, okay. Linda's not, but no. <laughs> Dropped off their daughter at school. Is that the first time? Is this, or is she, oh, the last child. Okay, so you've done this before. It's, okay. Oh, boy. All right. Moment of silence. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, um, but that's why we called the, pro the project Urban Islands Project, is because cities are like a thousand islands smashed together. And so, you know, we live in a, a neighborhood called Uptown, and uh, that's over, it's on the opposite, like if you go to the ball fields, we're kind of on the other side, the east side of town, over by the Capitol building. Um, our neighborhood's also called North Cap Hill, right? We live, a, we live a block off of Colfax. Anybody heard of Colfax? Uh, and so we, we see a lot of really interesting stuff. In fact, we like to say every time we take our dog for a walk, it's an adventure because you just never know what's going to happen down in that part of the city. Um, but you know what? God is doing amazing things. I'm going to share a little bit later about some of that stuff. But um, what I, what I want to focus on today, so I just want to encourage you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for support. We're here today to just let you know about what we're doing, and, and we would love for you guys to become, become part of our support team so we can see the presence of the church increase in a place where it's desperately, desperately needed. But I want to talk to you today about God's mandate for really all of us. It includes certainly the city, but it includes also um, people right next to us. And so it, the, the, the foundation scripture that I want to just look at for just a second today is Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. And if this is a, I believe this is an Assembly of God kind of Pentecostal type church, you're totally aware of this passage. You should have it memorized. And it's, it just simply says in verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom, of Israel, kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or days, dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. I just want to note that this is the last thing Jesus said before he returned to the, to the right hand of the Father. It's like usually we save don't we save some of the most important things for last? You know, just visited with family at Christmas, and, you know, you're talking about all kinds of other stuff. But you get ready to say goodbye, and you say stuff like, I love you. <laughs> you know, you say, I'm going to miss you. Those are the, you save the most important things for just before you depart from your loved one. And that's Jesus saved. This is so important what he said. He said, you're going to receive power. Don't forget this. I'm giving you what you need to be a witness, and I want you to be a witness, and I do not believe this was accidental. He gave the, he gave the, 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 the spheres where we're going to be witnesses, and that was Jerusalem, which is that was where they were at. So that was the immediate context, people near them and who are like them. And then he said Judea, and those are people who are near them 
and are, but but they're around them, but they're further away. So that's like the city of Colorado Springs, then the county of El Paso might be Judea. And then Samaria are people who are near you, but different from you. And so that might be like Denver. <laughs> Denver's not that far, depending on time of day and traffic. <laughs> it could be 40 minutes or four hours, you know. So, uh, but, but people in Denver are quite different. I mean, one of the things we've learned from living in Colorado Springs and in Denver is it's really different living in downtown Denver than it was living here in Colorado Springs. People there are different. They think different. They have different values, all kinds of stuff. And so they're people who are near you, but they're different from you. And then the ends of the earth. Those are people who are far away from you and are probably very different from you. And so Jesus took great, he he was very strategic, I think, in saying, I want you to care about all four of those spheres. And so one of the things I've noticed is most of the times when people talk about missions, they're, they're thinking about somebody who gets on a plane and goes over to some other country. And that's good because that's part of the command. We need to, we need to attend to that. But it's really interesting to me that three of the four spheres that Jesus talked about are actually close to us. He wants us to care about the people right around us, like neighbors and people across the street and people we work with, you know. I know I, I, this is not, great new, not new news to you, but it's just the same kind of missional attitude that we, want, that we exhibit towards people way over there. I think Jesus is saying, I want you to care about your neighbor too, you know, and, and invest in that and, and be part of that. And, of course, the broader sphere, like El Paso County. And then, yeah, care about Denver because, as I mentioned, one of the things that's happening is the Denver, the, 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 the seat of the government is there. Literally, we can see the Capitol rotunda, the top of the building, the gold thing. We can see that out our window. It's right there. That's where the seat of government is, where decisions are made that impact all of our lives every day. And the culture of the city is shaping those decisions, is shaping those decisions. And so it's so essential that we don't just, we, we need to not be, be on, you know, you know, passive about that. We need to be active about that. That's what, and so he's, Jesus is saying, I'm going to equip you so you have power to do something about this, to be proactive and go and do it. Um, so today we're going to focus, it's a missions conference, but I want to focus on Jerusalem today. Um, I want to focus on the people right next door. Um, and uh, to, 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 to do that, I want to start by just reminding you of the heritage that we have because we're connected to this church that came into being as Jesus spoke. To, he said to these disciples, he said, okay, you're going to get power to be witnesses, and I'm gone. <laughs> and he left them there. And, and so... We know the rest, you know, the, the, the first part of the story is a few days later, what happened? They were baptized in the Spirit. And they're all going, okay, this is what Jesus was talking about. We we're going to be given power so we can be witnesses. And what happened next, actually, you know, you see the book of Acts playing out. But then beyond that, what happened next was those believers were so obedient and so empowered that by 300 A.D., with the edict of Thessalonica, Christianity had become the original, excuse me, the official religion of the Roman Empire. So that's actually incredible because if you understand the religious context, at the time that Jesus basically gave birth to the church, brought the church into existence, there were hundreds, perhaps thousands of little minor religious groups that were active in the Roman Empire. So Christianity at that point was just one little cult group. It was actually a cult of Judaism is how most people perceived it. And the idea that this little cult where the founder was actually crucified, (laughs) you know, he was a total failure for that particular group to become the dominant religion of the Roman Empire over 300 years was an absolute miracle. And sociologists, not even Christian sociologists, but people who study Study so you know they study people. Why did that happen? They wondered what was it about this particular religious group that was so powerful that it became the dominant religion. Indeed, it still is the largest religion in the world today. If you just count religion, so this this sociologist named Rodney Stark set out to understand why this happened. And after thoroughly researching the subject, he wrote a book with this title. The Rise of Christianity, Dash, 
how the obscure, marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries, which also gets the, wins the prize for being the longest book title in the history of the world. Um, that's supposed to be a joke. I'm, you know, I'm not good at doing stand-up, so sorry about that, but thought I'd just throw it in and wake you up a little bit. Okay, so anyway, so he wrote this book. He did this big study, and after all this study that he did, which was answering the question how a handful of frightened, demoralized disciples in an obscure minor Roman province became a movement so powerful that the Roman emperor had no choice but to make it the religion of the empire. How did that happen? Here's his conclusion, and I quote, Christianity did not grow because of miracle working in the marketplaces, although there may have been much of that going on, or because Constantine said it should or even because the martyrs gave it such credibility. The primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the growing numbers of Christian believers who invited their friends, relatives, and neighbors to share the good news. Now, that's almost anticlimactic. You wanted them to find out some amazing thing, like this is... But what, they actually, what that says is what they actually did was what Jesus told them to do. He said, I'm going to give you the power you need, and then I want you to go out and be witnesses. Now, I, I, I'll, I'll talk, I want to talk about that in a minute because that's really important. He said, be witnesses. He didn't say, do witnessing. I want you to notice that. It's really important. But I want you to understand how crucial this is for this particular group, group of people to get right now. So these were like a, f- a handful of scared disciples, and Jesus said, be empowered and go be witnesses. And they did it. And 300 years later, the Roman Empire was, was uh, th- that, that was a dominant religion. How did that happen? Because this is a relatively small group of people. And let me just show you really quick. Let me just show you. Go to, the, uh, go to the screen that has the, yeah, there you go. So this is, your, this is your Jerusalem, or maybe your Jerusalem and Judea. And according to, this is a little bit old, outdated, because they update this once every 10 years, so it's still back in 2010. But there's roughly 600,000 people, maybe a little more than that now, in El Paso County. Of that, this organization that's called the Association of Religious Data Archives, they say there are 95,000 evangelical Protestants, which would, that would be, we would be included, this group would be included in that, in El Paso County. And then there's all these other groups, which except for the last one, would be under the broad umbrella of Christians. So there's evangelical, black Protestants, mainline, uh, Orthodox, and Catholic. Those four are all kind of big groups of Christians. And then the last one is any non-Christian religious group, so 22,000 people. But then go to the next slide. Okay, that last one, way over on the right-hand side, the vast, the biggest one is 414,000 unclaimed. And what this, you know, there's sort of this perception that people get sometimes is everybody, you know, everybody's already a church person, or everybody's always a Christian, or everybody's a, but that's not the case. Um, there's a lot of people who are unclaimed. Now, what that means is no religious group, no church, no religious group claims them as adherents or participants but that's, and so that doesn't necessarily mean that all those people are not Christians, but it just means there's a whole lot of people in El Paso County that can benefit from somebody being a witness. Does that make sense? But then we look at ourselves and go, wow, okay, there's a relative handful of people up against 400,000 people. That feels pretty helpless. So that's kind of how those disciples were like, oh, my goodness, you know, Jesus just left. We got this whole world, and he just told us, okay, what, are we, what did he just say? Oh, we were going to get power, and then we're going to go be witnesses. And they did that, and 300 years later, the church was the dominant force. Now, Stark was curious about how. He, we know it happened, and we, we know that the answer, he even gave the answer, was they actually lived out their faith. But then he went deeper in his book and gave some examples. So this is just one example of how they were being witnesses. So let's paint a little bit of the cultural context. These guys lived in a cultural context where it was normal. Infanticide was a normal practice. So in other words, what would happen was 
a Roman family would have a baby, and if it was a boy, celebrate. If it was a girl, the first girl, they'd celebrate. But after that, the second female born into a Roman family, they always celebrated the boys, but the second female, it was optional whether they kept her or not. And it wasn't like, let's put her up for adoption. It was, it was appropriate. It was socially acceptable to take the baby out to the edge of the community and leave it out there for the wild animals to consume. That was, nobody even batted an eye. It's, it's absolutely incredible. You read some of these stories of these Roman men writing to their wives. You know, if, it's a, if it happens to be a female, discard it. If it's a boy, keep it. These just sort of, it's just this, somehow the Roman culture had denigrated to the point where that was considered totally acceptable. And so here these people of the church are, anointed by the power of God, looking at that and going, that's wrong, as all of us would. And so you know what they did was they went down to City Hall with a bunch of placards and they said, we protest, we protest. No, they did not. They went out and picked up babies. They literally went out and picked up babies. Why did they do that? Because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. And their faithfulness to God to do something tangible, physical, and strong about a horrific practice was a prophetic action speaking into that culture and saying, we're not going to allow this to stand. Now, when they did that, all they were doing it for was simply because that was what the Holy Spirit was compelling them to do. So they, they had no strategy in mind. But what, here's what happened. They kept going out and picking up babies that were females. And after about 100 years, guess who had all the females? The church. And so a Roman man who wanted to have a wife had to go to the church to get his wife. And so he would come to the church, hey, I'd like one of them beautiful ladies you have. And they'd say, sorry, Buster, you got to go through a process to even be able to talk to one of these ladies. We want you to learn about Jesus. We want you to learn about faith and truth. And so Roman men were brought into training environments where they were trained about the truth of Scripture, and they became followers of Christ. They got to marry these ladies and that's how, that's one of the reasons. There were other things. Christians also went out and they helped people who were victims of the plagues and, and all kinds of problems. They, they sacrificed. They did really hard stuff. And that's actually what they were empowered by God to do, was to be a witness by living their lives in a way that was prophetically powerful and spoke against the wrongs and the evils of their culture and society. So in one sense... When we talk about being a witness, in some ways we've had it all wrong. How many of you know, how many of you know that, I, I, this is how I was raised. I was raised, it was like we would get all psyched up and say, okay, we're going to go do witnessing. And so it's like, okay, all right. Get my little thing of tracks, you know. And we're going to go down the street corner and confront some stranger and hand a track to him. And, you know, most of the time, that's about as far as we got. It's like, here's a track. And then we, and sometimes we got into conversation. Sometimes we got to pray with him, whatever. But, and then we go back. It was like, okay, now we're back to normal again. Thank God. But we did our duty because we're, we're doing witnessing. Um, well, that's not what Jesus told us to do. He didn't actually tell us to do witnessing. He told us to be a witness. So what I want to do for the next, the, the final few minutes here is just, in the light of all this, I want to talk about how, how to be a witness. And, and what I want to tell you is I, I hope that by the end of the day, I know, like, I used to sit through witnessing seminars, and I went out of there going, oh, man, I'm terrified by this. You know, I got to go out and find some, por- some person and, you know, there's four spiritual laws or there's the Romans road or there's the this and that. We had all these things and it was like the only successful witnessing encounter was if I was able to dump on that person a whole bunch of stuff. Now, I'm not, those things are all true and there's, there's a time and a place for the gospel to be shared in a, okay, here's in, in a kind of a teaching format. But what I've learned is that what Jesus told us to do actually creates and a dialogue, it creates a conversation. 
between us and people that need Jesus because of the power of God that's evident in our lives that creates the opportunity for us to share. So I want to just lay it out for you. It's real simple. There's just five steps. Can I, is it okay with you if I simplify witnessing? Everybody okay with that? Yeah? Nobody? Okay, okay. Good. So, so here's five, five steps to witnessing. Number one, jump down to, just go ahead and put something up there, and I'll tell you if you're right. Nope. Go, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. There you go. Right there. Great. Okay. Number one, here's, <laughs> this is so simple. Make people aware of you in a positive way. In other words, don't be a jerk. Okay, how many of you cannot be a jerk? Or that's not, that's like a double negative. How many of you say, you know what? I can, I can do my best to not be a jerk this week. Okay, that's, is that, so do you already feel hope? I mean, that's actually part of being a witness, is to not be an irritant to the people around you, you know? Like, last night, you know, we had to get something from a store, and we went there, and my wife actually called me, and she said, you know, I kind of want to go check out another store. Would you come stand in line in this one? Because the line is forever, you know? And I go in there, and I'm like, I'm always, like, evaluating stuff. You know, I'm like, what's wrong with these people? They should know that there's customers coming. You know, I'm doing all, and all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit said, okay, you're, you're on the edge of being a jerk. You know, calm down, calm down, you know. Be nice. That's all I'm talking about It's <laughs> just be, be kind to people. When, when you're interacting with people, that's, that's the first step of being a witness. Why? Because you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, really, that's the step that precedes all of this is be empowered, okay? So get anointed by the Holy Spirit so you have the power to not be a jerk. Have you ever heard it put that way before? (laughs) Well, there you go. So the first step to witnessing is be empowered by the Holy Spirit so you have the power to not be a jerk. Good? All right. Number two, learn people's names and pray for them, okay? Simple as that. In the process of not being a jerk, in the process of being, making people aware of you in a positive way, simply learn their names. Pay attention to their names. It's, it's a problem for all of us. You know, you meet somebody else, and they ask you what your name is, and you say, my name is Steve, or whatever your name is, and they say their name, and for some reason, our brains are wired to just hear our own name, so we don't actually hear their name, and then we, we walk away and go, what was their name? So it does take a little bit of work. It does take a little bit of discipline to remember somebody's name. But here's the thing. Think about how often the Word talks about God's names are really important to God. He said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to change your name. Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. And I'm going to change your name. Saul, I'm going to change your name to Paul. You know, there's something, names are really important to God. He lists, you know, you read some of those Old Testament passages, and they list the names of all these people. Why, why is God doing that? Why did God want that to be in the, the inspired Scripture? It's because those names represent people that God loves. And so when you remember the name of somebody, you are partnering with God in this powerful process of being aware of somebody's name. But don't just stop at remembering the name, but make a commitment. When I learn somebody's name, I'm going to begin to pray for them. I'm going to begin to pray God's blessing on them. I'm going to begin to pray that God will touch them and, 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 and bless them and, and bring them to truth if they don't already have that going on, okay? So, in fact, here's a, go to the next slide. Um, here's just a simple thing to remember. If somebody's in your life, that's not an accident. They deserve to be prayed for. So whoever that is, you know, if you go to the same gas station or whatever and you interact with the same person or store or, or neighbor or whoever, they deserve to be prayed for. And a great way to remember to pray for them is to, is to remember, remember their name, write their name down or whatever you need to do, whatever works for you, figure out how to do that. Is that simple enough? Okay, so number one, what? Don't be a jerk. Number two, remember people's name and pray for them. Now, guess what's going to happen? When you pray for people, God works in their life. Surprise. That's actually true. You start praying for people, and God will start working in their life, which brings us to the third thing. Number three is learn their story. What's going to happen is, you know, you find that as you begin to pray for people, the funny thing is you actually remember your name, their name the next time you see them. 
And it's kind of shocking to people, you know, because they meet you and they don't expect you to remember the name. And you go back, hey, John, how you doing? Oh, hey. Uh, and then they don't know your name because they don't remember. But you're like, you don't care because you've been praying for John. And God's put, a, like, his love in your heart for John. And so now you're praying for this person and you're serving them and loving them. And, and guess what? The, one of the most powerful things you can do is just hear somebody's story. You know, we live right in downtown Denver. We have, there's this guy that now he's, he's, he's moved on. I actually don't know what happened to him. But while he was living in our neighborhood, he's a homeless guy. You, Francis Quinn, lived in his wheelchair, slept underneath the bank. And I got to know him. I learned his name, you, Francis Quinn, started praying for him. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I asked him what his story was one day because he's sitting there in his wheelchair, didn't have any place to go. And he said, oh, I'm a Vietnam vet. I said, tell me a Vietnam story. And so he just started talking, you know. And everybody loves to share their story, whether they're a homeless person or somebody that you're a coworker or somebody you meet at the store or whatever. Become somebody who listens. You say, well, that's not witnessing. Yes, it is. That's what I'm saying. This is how you be a witness is you listen to other people's stories. Why? Why is that being a witness? Because it leads to the next one. That opens up opportunities for spiritual conversations. So it, when you listen first, then the spiritual conversations can happen. Then you get that opportunity to talk about the four spiritual laws or the Romans road or whatever, whatever truth you want to share with them. Actually, they are asking for that. And then number five is enjoy the journey. Paul actually said, some water some plant, but God gives the increase. I used to think, like, it's all on me. If I'm witnessing somebody, I got to take them from A to Z. It's not a successful witnessing encounter unless somehow I've gotten them to pray the sinner's prayer. Boy, uh, you know, that is not even close to accurate. God's the one that, God cares about their salvation way more than I do, and I have no idea what's happening in their life when I'm encountering them, when, I, when I'm praying for them and I'm loving them and having spiritual conversations, I don't know the process that God needs to take them through to get them to Jesus. And so enjoy the journey. Don't feel this pressure like, oh, man, I got I to gotta be able to go back to my Bible study and say, I led this person to the Lord. You know, forget, a, forget about keeping score to a certain extent. Guess what's going to happen? You, it, it'll be easy to keep score because people will be coming to faith. They'll be pursuing Jesus. That's how God, that's how the church grew is people watch these guys and they go, man, this is amazing. This is incredible. What are these people doing? I need that. I, it was such a contrast. The, the Roman lifestyle versus the lifestyle of the kingdom was such a contrast that people were going, man, these people have a better life over here. That's what God's calling us to do. Now, I just want to give you one more story, and then we'll wrap it up to, to kind of put flesh on this because most of this has been theory. So, you know, we moved into this um, high-rise condo in downtown Denver after living in Springfield, Missouri. Now, for Springfield, Missouri, all of our neighbors either went to James River Assembly of God or Second Baptist Church. So, you know, if you talk to them, you're talking to a Christian. I mean, it was probably, it was, I think it might have been impossible for us to find somebody who didn't say, I'm a Christian, you know. So we were just, and then I worked at the National Office of the Assemblies of God. So hopefully most of my coworkers were Christians there, you know, I'm assuming that, you know. So, so I lived in this sort of Christian bubble, and um, I never really encountered. So we went from that environment to high-rise condo in downtown Denver. We started meeting our neighbors all around us. On our floor, literally everybody whose wall touches our wall. We live in a condo building. So on the other side of every one of our walls is a same-sex same couple. So, and none of them are people who profess to follow Jesus. So we went from Springfield, Missouri, loaded with families, all of them either Baptist or Assembly of God, to downtown Denver, all the families are same-sex couples who don't, aren't following Jesus, you know. So it was a little bit of a cultural shock. Um, and, and, you know, we just started going, oh, God, oh, God, what do we do? What, you know, how do, how do? And, and, you know, I, I kind of still had this imprint of doing witnessing as the way to go. And then I realized, no, you're called to be, you're anointed with the Holy Spirit. You be a witness. You just live life. And, and we put this into practice. So we thought, okay, step one, don't be a jerk, <laughs> you know. So be nice, you know, because when you live in a condo, here's the thing. Most, a lot of people in our condo building have dogs, including us, and we live on the fourth floor, 
And our little doggy needs to go out three to four times a day to do his business. And that first step is a doozy. If he goes out the, you know, the door, it's like four stories, you know. So you don't do that. Um, so what we, we have to do is go out of our door, walk down the hall, get to the elevators, kind of like living in a hotel, you know, hit the elevator. And there's usually other neighbors. There's always not, you know, probably half the time there's somebody already on there. They've got their dog. So it's just natural to kind of meet, meet them. Hey, what's your name? What's your dog's name? You know, go down. So first thing that happened was we were nice to people, and then we paid attention to their names. One of the first people we met was somebody who I'll call Connie. This story's still in process, so I don't want to talk about her, her actual name just because it's such a precious thing that God is doing. And so Connie, you know, we run into her. She's got her dog. We've got ours. We meet her. And, and, you know, I go back, write her name down, start praying for her, found out her partner, a female, and learned her name. We started praying for her. And, uh, you know, time goes by, and we just bump into them occasionally. Occasionally there's a, you know, they have something like a homeowners association thing. We, we see them, and we, we sit with them and talk about just life. And we're just, we're, we're just started to share stories, you know, started to share stories. And, um, and, and the whole time I'm praying for, we're praying for, and we're, we're, we're sharing stories. We're not being jerks. And then one day, Connie comes walking down the hall, without her dog, and she's crying just profusely. And, you know, I immediately thought, well, maybe her dog passed away, you know, because that, that happens. And so I said, oh, did, Connie, did, did your dog die? And she said, no. She said, we broke up. Now, the Springfield Assembly of God part of me kind of went, yeah. But the Jesus part of me went, this girl is hurting right now. Now, this isn't the time for me to have a theological discussion about her lifestyle choices. She's just experiencing the raw, hard thing that people go through when, when somebody they love rejects them. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit woke me up, and, and, and he said, you know, she, I understand how she feels because I was rejected by people who said they love me too. Tell her that. So I said, Connie... I just need you to know something. We've been praying for you since the day we met. She said, you have? I said, yeah. And I said, and I believe God sent me here for this moment because he wants to give you a message through me. She said, he does? I said, yeah. I said, he wants you to know that he understands how you feel right now. He, understand what it, he understands what it feels like to be rejected by people who love you. And he wants to walk with you in a healing process. And she her tears changed from brokenhearted tears to tears of thanksgiving that God would speak to her like that. And I said, is it okay if we just pray for you right now? She said, please. And so I prayed over her. You know, we prayed over her and asked God to bless her and to help her as she processed through this, this experience that she was having. And, you know, the rest of the story is not that, you know, she went on and she got saved and got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now she's a missionary in Africa. That's not the rest of the story. You know, where we're at with her is we're having spiritual conversations, and we're enjoying the journey, you know, because now she loves us. She trusts us. We love her, and we're just walking with her. And, you know, she has some of the craziest spiritual ideas we've ever heard in our lives, and they just, but she's not afraid to share those with us because she knows we love her, and she associates God's love with us. And that's what Jesus was talking about. That's what being a witness is. It's not this thing you go do so you make God happy or you put marks on it. It's something you be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So my message to you today is be generous towards missions. Please, I love this church has a heritage of being generous. In fact, I was around when this, before this church started. I was talking to Pastor Randy Papano when he and Joan were thinking about starting Briar, church at Briargate. And I was actually on the, the sectional or the whatever. It was, I forget what committee it was, but we were approving. We approved for this church to start. <laughs> and I, one of the things we said to Randy was, we want this church to be generous toward missions. So if we give you money, you better be generous towards missions. Kind of, you know, that's how you can do when you're a district official, you know, be threatening. <laughs> But, you know, I didn't have to do that. Randy had that heart. You guys know Randy. And then I know Scott and Linda have that same thing. It's so wonderful. This church 
is generous, and thank you for being that. And be generous across the full spectrum, not just in giving to help far away, but in giving to help nearby and in being a witness right where you're at. Okay? So we're going to take the first step right now. Go to the next slide. Here's what I want you to do as a, as a way of responding to your Jerusalem. Tonight we're going to talk about the whole spectrum, but this morning we're talking about Jerusalem. Just take out a piece of paper or your phone, whatever you prefer to write notes on, and write down the names of five people who are in your life who, as far as you know, don't know Jesus. Now, honestly, if somebody asked me this in Springfield, I would have had a hard time coming up with any names. So if that's you, it's okay. Here's what I want you to do is write down a place you can go in the next 30 days that will put you in proximity to people who don't know Jesus. And there's lots of places you can go that aren't going to be, you know, you don't have to go to a, some kind of a sinful place. <laughs> you know, there's lots of places where people that don't know Jesus are going to be at that you can go be at too. Some of you just have to go to work, you know. But, um, and some of you, I talked to a guy after the first service, he says, you know, man, last night we had kind of a neighborhood thing and, and I got to meet my neighbor and found out he's an atheist. And he said, I was thinking, what do I do now? And he said, I feel so helped by this. So they're out there. <laughs> there's 400,000 of them within proximity. So this is how, you know, this is how it starts. So just what, if you can name five, that's awesome because that means you're probably already living in a way that's putting you in proximity and connectivity to people. But maybe you don't know their name yet. You just, maybe you have to put, well, there's a guy with the blonde hair that, you know, lives around the corner and I need to, step one is find out the name so I can be praying for him. Okay, whatever you do. So just write it down, five names, okay? Or a place you're gonna go. And then number two, look on your calendar and, and actually put a time when you're going to start praying for these people or this place. So that's all I'm asking you to do. It's such a simple, I mean, this is like everybody can do this, right? <laughs> this is not, oh, I can't do that because, well, there's, there's no excuse. You can do this. You can name five people or at least a place where you can go meet some people and put on the calendar, like, this afternoon, I'm going to start praying for these people. In fact, I'm not even going to wait for that. That's how we're going to wrap it up. And then, pa Pastor Scott, would you want to come? Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, Shelby's going to wrap it up. So, so here's what we're going to do. Let's just pray for these people. Would you, would you all stand together? Would you just stand right now and hold whatever your whatever device or piece of, whoops, piece of paper that you have written their names on? Just hold that in your hands in front of you. And, and let's just pray over these folks as we end this service today. So, Lord, Man, God, it's heartbreaking that there's so many people in a county that has a reputation of being a kind of a Christian county, a place where everybody knows Jesus. That's what a lot of people from outside of El Paso County think about it. And yet here we see there's a lot of our neighbors who don't have a clear connection to you that we know of. And Lord, you've called us to be witnesses. And today we've been reminded just how simple and powerful and kind of difficult that is because this is talking about getting our lives mixed up in the lives of people who don't live in a way that we always approve of. It's, it's kind of easier to talk about than it is to do, but yet it is real simple, Lord. Just help us to love people, love your mission enough to make people aware of us in a positive way and learn their names and pray for them and listen to their stories and enjoy spiritual conversations with them and then just be on the journey with them as your Holy Spirit works in our lives. Just these people whose names are listed here today, there's, if everybody wrote down five names, Lord, there's hundreds of names representing hundreds of people and lives and their journeys that are being held in our hands right now. And Lord, I just pray that your blessing and your peace and your conviction and your awareness, whatever that person whose name is listed needs right now. I pray you'll begin to work in their lives, begin to transform. And Lord, help this church body to be empowered with the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. Help each person to crave and to hunger after the infilling of your Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to be witnesses, to live lives where 
we, we bring the presence of Jesus into other people's lives through our prayers, through our conversations, through our questions. And we thank you for it, God. Let there be just a, a fresh wave of new life go forth from this family of believers. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. 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 That was awesome. That was awesome, Steve. Thank you to you and Sherry for for coming today. And um, yeah, that was just a really practical, powerful word and so in line with the vision of Church at Briargate and the things that Pastor Scott has been talking about for for years, really. And um, Steve and Sherry will be at the missions banquet tonight, uh, along with several other missionaries. And so... Um, and we want to encourage you guys to come be there at six o'clock. It's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. And just remember that we are really strategically placed um, wherever we're at in our jobs, our neighborhoods, the grocery stores that we shop at, everywhere that we just happen to be. Um, we have a special calling. We have a calling. It's not just uh, you know happenstance or by accident or coincidence. So always be mindful. I've got my notes. I've got my my people that I wrote down that I'm going to start, you know, praying for. And I just love the practical way. Um, it was so doable and practical. I'm actually really excited about it. And so I, I hope you are too. Um, and just think about, well, that uh, the numbers that he showed were from 2010. We're in 2019. So I'm sure those numbers have grown hugely. So probably in the 500,000 range, I would imagine, at least. And so there's the harvest is plenty. And so we've got lots of work to do. So I hope that inspired and and convicted you like it did me in a good way. And uh, let's just get out there and make a difference in our community in Colorado Springs and, and tell them about Jesus and spread the gospel. Amen. Amen. Okay, so one quick announcement before we're dismissed. So we have the missions uh, banquet tonight, six o'clock. So we need all these chairs stacked up and moved out of the way. And so if we could get as much help as possible to do that, we can do it super fast. So if you'd be willing to do that, we'd be so grateful. Be blessed and we will see you tonight.
Jesus, my heart, it burns for you. 